look at a couple of portions of the creeds we have covered so far and what we're going to cover today. The sections we're going to work on today are in bold. Uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. By the way, anytime a creed goes up, you can read it too. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Here's the new part. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Then the Nicene Creed, we've done this before. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Here's the new part. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. Well, you might have thought going in all of our goings back and forth in scripture, from the Jewish scriptures to the Christian scriptures, that we had dealt with all of the issues concerning the nature of Jesus. However, there are some passages in scripture that need to be addressed about how Jesus came to us, how he came to earth, and how it was that that changed things. We start with a classic exposition from the Apostle Paul. He starts with a plea for believers to live in unity and to be humble, united in love, united by their faith. Our faith is supposed to change us. If we say that all colors are equal in the eyes of God, we are required to act on that belief. If we say that women are treasured by God, we are to act on that belief. If we say that the poor are in the mind of God and we are there to serve the poor, we must act on that. By the way, I was asked to bring up the deadline for that giving that we're beyond the building for that special pro is actually Thursday. So again, if we believe that we want to conserve what we have here and make it last for generations, we are to act upon that. Let's look at, the, at this statement here in Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement, I love this if. He's, he's throwing it out there like, really? Come on, guys. Uh, how absurd is it if you wouldn't? How, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, our example in humility and unity is Jesus who was not loath to unite with us. You want to talk about a distance. A distance. He came to us. How many of us refuse to unite with another over something petty? A poor friend of mine, I loved him so dearly, passed away years ago. His wife had passed, and he had Parkinson's and had to go into assisted living, and I went to see my brother Don, great man, I went to see him one time, and he was so sad. And I said, Don, what happened? And he talked about his sister wouldn't talk to him anymore. And I asked what had gone wrong. And he said, after the funeral, she, she said that I had cheated her. 
and I said, what, what happened? I'm not making this up. They had the Reader's Digest greatest music of all time albums. And a couple of things, about this much, you know, a couple of books. Uh, if you don't remember, kids, the magazines used to sell you stuff, like, like records. And she thought she was supposed to get those, and she didn't, and she wouldn't talk to him. Now, the, the, here's, here's a tragedy. Everybody in here can think of a similar situation. Not with records, not at, maybe perhaps after a funeral, but where two people will not walk together because that much issue. And yet God united with us. Wow. And he was humble when he did it. Let's take a look at this next passage because this is our, this is our launching point for where we are today. Who, Jesus, being in, by the way, get six versions of the Bible when you read this. It is, it is a really hard phrase to translate. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality something to be used to his own advantage. That sentence humbles me because if I was God, I'd be killing people every day. I would be. And I'm, I'm, I'm being very honest. I'd be a lousy, awful, horrid God. But he did not consider it to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And he found, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. No, that wasn't enough. He kept humbling himself by being obedient to, a, to death, even death on a cross. <coughs> Excuse me. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen, church? This is a great lesson on humility and unity here, and it's one that Paul was underlining, but we're going to use this passage to go in a different direction today. How can Jesus be co-eternal with God, light from light, God from God, and still be called his son? Well, let's start with another lesson from Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses and others aver or, or state that this means that Jesus had to be born or formed at some point, perhaps long before the creation of the universe. However, the Jehovah's Witnesses founder, and if you're a Jehovah's Witness, we love you, and we're not trying to shame you in any sort of way. We would hate for that to happen. But the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, Charles Russell, only knew a little bit of Greek, but thought he knew a lot. And therefore, he thought Christians had gotten it wrong on many things. For example, one of the words for cross is also torture stake. So he said Jesus did not die on a cross, but rather impaled on a torture stake. Um, he made a mistake. People do this when they don't know Greek and think they do. I had somebody once tell me that the word for in the he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, the baptized, that word, there's a definition for it that could mean sprinkling. And I said, that's absolutely correct. That's the third most popular definition for the word. But if we do that with believe, baptize, and salvation, 
is taking the third. He who has a good feeling and is sprinkled shall be pickled. Don't do that. Find a community that knows Greek and work with them. By the way, they have had to fight explaining away a lot of this ever since. And that's why you can't get a lot of their early books. They've collected them. But the firstborn over all creation, the firstborn to, to the audience of Paul there in Colossae, could mean the firstborn son. But it also had other very common uses. It was used to designate the one who was the commander, highest in rank. And that's exactly what Paul was saying here, because look what he follows it up with. These next several verses. For in him all things were created. I'm sorry, but right there, if we use grammar, we're done with this. Because if he created all things, he can't himself have been created. Do you see that? All right? If I have all money, you don't have a dollar. And I don't, by the way. Uh, in him, all things were created. Things in heaven, that this, we're done, really. Things on earth, visible and invisible. Paul's going to keep going. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. Why don't people keep reading? They find a verse and they go, aha, and they run around with that verse. Keep reading. In him all things hold together. In some of the other versions, in him all things consist. But I really like this one because there's no reason for our molecules not to just take a trip and go somewhere. It's just amazing. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that, and by the way, you understand that, the resurrection thing. Because um, all the other people that were resurrected eventually died. He did not. You see, there's a difference. Uh, so that in everything he may have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Wow. Wow. And he drives it home. Let's go to Colossians 2. Let's just keep going. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He's everything you need. He is the head over every power and authority. While on earth, though in a human body, God was pleased to have all of his fullness, all the Trinity, live in Jesus. And this is offensive to Gnostics, to Muslims, and to Jehovah's Witnesses. But it's still true. You see, just because something offends you, that does not mean it is untrue. And in fact, perhaps you should not be offended by things that are true. Perhaps instead we should adjust our position when we hear things that are true. The Christian scriptures even wrap up with this reminder out of Revelation chapter 1. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. We're going to skip down to verse 18. I am the living one, Jesus speaking. I was dead and now look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Is he, is he, is, is he God's son? Uh, yes, because he willingly became God's son. He took on that role. He is not God's son because he was born or created at some distant point. He took it on. 
he wrapped it around him like a garment and laid aside who he was to become one of us. There was not a moment in time where Jesus did not exist. And there is nothing in scripture to indicate that he is support, subordinate to God the Father, except when he chose to be and stepped down. The phrase son of God, by the way, was not only used to describe Jesus, it was used to describe holy people, Sadiq, like Joseph, the father uh, uh, or the husband of Mary, who then raised Jesus, Sadiq, righteous. All those who obey God, and in fact, Jesus uses it that way in John chapter 10. Let's bring that up. Against his Jewish opponent, again his Jewish opponent, picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. From which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I've said you are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of the Lord came, or word of God came. And scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. In other words, what you say you believe, you have to do or you're lying. It has to change your behavior. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. As you were singing and I join in and out, I'm, sometimes I pull back because I, I, I'm fed by your singing. It just strengthens me. I um, looked around and it hit me once again. Man, I love these people. Every person I'm seeing has a story and I love these people. I have, um, I've taken comfort in my life whenever anybody goes, we don't like what you do over the area. I always just say, look at what I've done. Look at the people I've loved. Go with that. Take the tracks. What have we left behind us? Jesus uses this. In fact, if it, it's kind of like a Matthew 7 thing, where judge not that you be not judged, but then later on it says, by their fruit you shall know them. Turn around and look at the life that you've lived. What have you done? Now, I'm not talking about big, great works. I'm talking about, is there love left behind? Are there changed hearts left behind? Is there goodness left behind? That's what Jesus was saying. He said, that's who I am. And that makes me a son of God. And he even tells me, you can be too. Wow. Well, let's talk about God. If you ever try to put God in a box, you realize that God doesn't live in boxes. I always like it when people say, man, you really think out of the box. Well, one, thanks for giving me credit for thinking. Two, never had a box. Somebody tried to give me a box. I burned it. Putting God in a box is a really stupid thing to do, but I'm about to do it just because we're human. And we need to have things put in human, manageable terms. We can get carried away with this and go very, very wrong indeed. As Aaron did when he built the golden calf. Do you remember that? He did not say, let's worship cows. He said, this is, the, this is Jehovah who brought you out of Egypt. He was trying to make God easy to understand and manageable. Maybe even portable. No. It's a general rule. God doesn't live in boxes. However, and here's where I say I'm going to do it anyway. If, exceptions abound if you know where to look for them. But God the Father plans the plan. Jesus executes the plan. 
The Holy Spirit provides the power for the plan. Now that's very, very simplistic, but that should really, really help when you're reading scripture. Even creation, God had the plan, but the Bible says Jesus did the creating, but who is the first one to show up over it and bring it into order out of chaos is the Holy Spirit. You see Jesus saying, I'm saying the words that my father gave me to say. And when he did works and people said, that's from Satan, he said, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's the one who gives me the power to do this. That's kind of the way to help here. And so when Jesus came to earth, he came to fulfill the plan overseen by God the Father. All the three would have been in perfect agreement. They would have formed the plan together. But now to the Father is given the task of keeping the plan moving forward. Jesus is the one who moves it forward and the Spirit provides the power. We see it in Genesis 1. We see it in the life of Jesus. I am still staggered every time I think of the fact that he stepped away from heaven and into human form to execute the plan of salvation and to ever, forever create a bond between God and humanity. When he was questioned about his teachings, remember he just said, those come from the Father, and I do them through the Holy Spirit. Think about this. God made humanity, but he never walked with us from birth to death, knowing intimately what it was to be human until Jesus came. Now, Jesus had been to the planet many times before. If you don't know that, he was. Sometimes appearing as the angel of the Lord, and I know some people disagree with that, but I'll meet you outside and we'll slap each other with Kleenexes until one, uh, until one of you uh, realizes I am right. Just go, we're going to go with that. Jesus has been here many times before, but this time he came as a baby. And he went through all of us, birth, childhood, adult, death. Look again at Philippians 2. Just who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. To death, even death on a cross. Wow. Stunning. But did you notice something? Who humbled Jesus? He did. Who placed him in human form? He did. It's not that he was created sub-God. No. He chose this. And the reaction of God, uh, God the Father and God the Spirit when they saw this was to be so proud they exalted him. You know, when my son went through Marine, uh, Marine Corps basic training, University of Paris Island, we, uh, we put his picture up in his dress blues. Why? Because, dude, you did it. Wow. Look at what you did. That's amazing. We exalted him. Now, that's nothing compared to what Jesus did for us. And, and God the Father and the Holy Spirit exalted Jesus for this. He's the one who chose to come and do this with us. And now the scripture says he can serve as our advocate by the things he learned. By being a, wait, wait, learned? Wasn't he God? Yeah. But where and when and what he learned about himself were not really given. But look at Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Thinking about your... your your communion. Uh, it was, that was so well done. Um, there we go, to death. And he was heard 
because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, complete, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Wow. There are some things you can only learn by going there. You, really. If you, let's say you, you've gone through Marine Corps basic training. Somebody can't look at you and go, ah, I know, you know, I, I mowed the lawn yesterday and it's hot. I understand struggle. One of the things Vietnam vets did uh, quite a bit after a while was, you don't know, man, you weren't there. And I get it. I do. And I always go, oh, man, whenever a young man, so very proud, will put his arm around his wife and go, we're pregnant. <clears throat> but biologically improbable, and only one of you is going to have to pass a bowling ball. You might help by telling her to do something which her brain stem, the most ancient reptile part of your brain, does. Breathe, honey. Now breathe again. It's not a we. It's not a we, people. I often put it through my prayers. Father, remember what Jesus went through. Ask him about this. It's hard down here. And as Hebrews said, he heard the prayers of Jesus, but the cross still was there. He's not to take away all of our pain. He's not the magic eraser for our pain. He is the one who will be there during it. Now about those last lines we read today, birth through the Virgin Mary, you know, and that creed, we gotta talk about that real quick. We often ignore Mary, but to our shame, I think it's out of fear that we might elevate her to godlike status, which some people do. That, and that's a shame. She's worthy of our time. She's worthy of our adoration. Both Matthew and Luke record that Mary was a virgin when the Holy Spirit performed a miracle and placed Jesus within her. Matthew tells a story from Joseph's viewpoint. Luke tells it from Mary's. But that's the only time it's mentioned in scripture. It was an accepted part of Christian doctrine, not questioned really by believers until a new version of the Bible came out in 1952. The Revised Standard Version was intended to be a new corrected version of the American Standard Version of 1901. I was raised on the American Standard Version of 1901, which is a brilliant translation of a lousy manuscript. So they they decided to improve it by bringing in better manuscripts with the Revised Standard Version. And it, it started a, a controversy that lasted decades. And as a little boy, I saw men turned red-faced and screaming from the pulpits against it. They translated Isaiah 7.14 in a way that removed the prophecy about a virgin birth. Let's put that up here. In the NIV, it says... Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, let's put it up in the Revised Standard Version. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, <clears throat> pastors burned the RSV in public and they verbally burned it in the pulpit and in their papers. I have several books in my library written about the modern versions. 
although to call something in 1952 modern seems to beg a question that has not been answered. The word here, Alma, it absolutely can mean a young woman, but it also can absolutely mean a virgin. And I have a real problem with God talking to a people in, in war saying, God's going to ride to the rescue, and here's, here's your sign. A woman's going to give birth. Eh, already happening. But if he says a virgin gives birth, aha, now we got a sign. So I'm, you, you put me in the pro-virgin uh, uh, Isaiah 7.14 group. Fact is, when we read Matthew and, look, and Luke, they look back at Isaiah and they say she was a virgin. I'm good with that. And that we believe. Mary had to be a virgin or she was a liar. Uh, and something was very wrong. We, well, I won't call her a loose woman. It could have been she'd been raped and pregnant and the like. None of that happened. What happened was a miracle. We sang, oh, calm all you faithful. I sing Christmas music all year. To me, Advent never goes away. Ever. And it's just, it's so important to me. I have, you know, Facebook always explodes with, no, Christmas before Thanksgiving. You know, go away. Um... He came, it changed everything, celebrated every day, people. God could have used a male-female interaction, shall we say, to form a zygote, which then begins to continue to split and form into a fetus, and then Jesus just enters the fetus. But he didn't do it that way. He said he did it a different way. And I think we should take him at his word, and that's what we believe to this day. By the way, the new Revised Standard Version keeps the reading of young women. That's okay. It's a really good translation. Can I just tell you, we don't need to set our hair on fire every time somebody else does. We don't need to panic just because somebody else is. We don't need to join the mourners just because somebody else is. Keep your hair fine. I love your hair. Don't light. And, and those of you that are, are, are bald, your dome is fantastic. We love you. Be at peace. We are a people of peace. If you would stand with me, we will read together, <clears throat> reciting the Nicene Creed as we have looked at it so far. I need, to, I need to step in a different place, don't I? Are we good? Okay. Okay, I'll center. I've been told. Everybody always wants me to go to the center. You know, the problem with the center is both sides shoot at you. <clears throat> at 11 o'clock, the bell will ring. I'm going to start my class at about 11.05 to give people time if they want to be there for it. All right, let's read this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. And for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. Advent is coming.
we believe. Amen.